Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On The Margin. You can subscribe to the BlockWorks Macro YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On The Margin. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Yusko, and I'm not giving you an adjective this week, Mark, but I'm just thankful to have you as my co-host this year. That's wow, how, okay. I, that's how well, I'm genuinely feeling. Yeah, I am. Just, I am uh, thankful as well. And and uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a little new location since we're doing this uh, a day early because of the holidays, but uh, back in the office. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm getting a feeling that maybe the sock reveal is like losing a little of its luster. So I'll do the very, maybe the last one. I don't know if we'll do it next year or not, but but I'll do it. And and this is this is the crazy part because now I got to come way up. So I I have the uh, the red pants on today, but I do have the you know Bitcoin Moon and uh, rocket ship because I was feeling I was feeling good this morning, and um, you know I got the blood in the streets pants on, not because there's blood in the streets. I mean things are going straight up, but um, I'm I retweeted a tweet from Max Kaiser uh, late last night that. He said, I'm nervous. There's something going on, right? You don't see this kind of uh, collaboration with regulators and, and companies all around this, this ETF thing and all these public meetings if they're not planning something. Like, well, yeah, they're going to plan to make you know, self-custody illegal. But whether she could actually get that achieved, I, I'm, I'm doubtful. Doesn't mean she won't try. But I want to say she, I mean, she's the mouthpiece. I mean, there's a whole bunch of people behind the scenes that don't want this. But anyway, so Elizabeth Warren, you're talking about. Yes, Ms. Warren, Ms. Warren. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I also I think that's pretty indicative of how a lot of people, myself included, feel. I think it's, you know, on the one hand, it's been an absolutely if you've been working in crypto for the last two years, it's been absolutely brutal. It's been down only all of the hallmarks of a, of a bear market that, that we all know and uh, put up with. But on the other hand, and so it's like, it would make sense for things to turn around now. We're getting the ETF. Well, you uh, know, it's so have- funny that you say that, Michael. It, it is so funny that you say that. And this is kind of, you know, year, well, actually next week will be the year in review and, and the forecast. Because uh, you'll, you'll be in Montana, I'll be in San Francisco, but we'll, we'll do one. Um, but it's so funny that you said because this year, 23, up only, baby. I mean, it has been up only. It doesn't feel like up only. It really, it's interesting. It doesn't yeah. feel that way. And it's because the down cycle was so brutal. It actually wasn't as brutal from a dollars and cents perspective, but from a just bashing the media, the the piling on of the bad people doing bad stuff and Hurricane Sam and all that stuff. But really interesting, you look at any of the digital asset markets this year, they're just beautiful accumulation charts, higher highs, higher lows. There's volatility. And there was that period, and it was almost five months, where we were flat. You know, we kind of had the big run in Q1, and then we kind of went flat through the summer. But, you know, since October and uh, Moonvember, it's just been... It's been crazy. And, yeah. and, and 
And yet we haven't even started. See, this is what's so amazing. And, you know, if, if you're going to give me an adjective, it would be ebullient. I, I have not been this excited <laughs> in a long time. I mean, yeah, that's how and, I feel too. And it's funny because I should not be excited. I mean, I was just had, I was just on I did a call with Dan Moorhead, and, and we were lamenting the fact that holy crap, this is the hardest year. And we're old, right? We've been around a long time. We've been friends for thirty years, and this is the hardest environment to fundraise we have ever seen. And and look, I am incredibly grateful. We have two incredible anchor tenants that that are helping us launch our fourth fund. But beyond that, it's hard to get meetings. I take crap from, you know, all sides about, you know. So I get the, geez, it's been a tough two years. It has. In in doing and building and, you know, building a media company focused on this space. I mean, I know what you and Yano and, and the rest of the crew have, have gone through. And, you know, putting out positive energy content in a world of negative energy, that sucks, right? It's hard. So I get that part. Um, but man, I, I just look at the confluence of things that are happening. And yeah, there could be some negative surprise and, and, you know, then they fight you could get really ugly, but the cycle that starts in 2024, you can't stop that. It's coming. January 1st, 2024 is coming. And the next four years are going to be a truly parabolic, exponential increase in technology adoption, application development. And you go back and just, just look at all the precedents. Go back and look at 54 to 58. Go back and look at 68 to 72. Go back and look at 82 to 86. Go back and look at 96 to 2000. Go back and look at 2010 to 14. There's nothing you can do to stop it. I remember when, when Social Local Mobile came out, you know, Solo Mo, and it was like, social media, we don't need that. That's that stupid. Billions and billions and billions of dollars. And Wait, I've got something... I've got right. a great one. Uh, sorry, go keep talking. I, I've got something I'm going to... No, but it's, it's, just, it's just that that beginning of the cycle. It, I mean, it's literally just beginning. And that doesn't mean it's up only. It doesn't mean that we won't have a bust in 2028. We will. But from those ashes uh, where you know the bad ideas get flushed, we will then generate... I really believe this. I think we're going to generate $15 trillion of value. Yeah. And that's it's awesome. I'm with you. All right, everyone. We will be back to the program in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to give you the inside scoop about something that we've been cooking up at BlockWorks these last couple of months. So in March of this coming year, in London, BlockWorks is going to be gathering 1,200 of the world's largest asset managers. So that's fund managers and allocators, financial institutions, think big banks, payment providers, etc., and professional traders at the largest institutionally focused conference in digital assets, DAS London. Now, it's very rare that you get the likes of JP Morgan, 
Goldman Sachs, Point72, the large HFTs, the family offices all in one room at the same time. So if you want to know what the big money is doing in digital assets these days, this is the conference for you. To give you an early sneak peek at some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, one, the intersection of macro and digital assets. And where are we in the market cycle? We're going to be talking about real world assets, so that's stable coins, on-chain treasuries, all of that fun stuff. And we're going to be talking about things from the allocator perspective. So what are the big money managers in crypto doing these days? And because you are such a good listener of On The Margin, I'm giving you an extra code MARGIN20. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. Again, use code MARGIN20, and I will see you in sunny London town in March. You know, I think this has been an interesting bear market because I think there's it's sort of been a tale of two bear markets actually. And I think there, it hasn't actually been even distribution of pain across all the actors in the ecosystem. So, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I've found is I was actually just talking to a big hedge fund manager over in Europe. And he was saying, this is basically what you just said, one of the most brutal fundraising environments ever. And it's because even if you're in Europe, the first place that you go to raise capital is the U.S. Most sophisticated allocators, deepest pockets, et cetera. And the U.S. institutional uh, money manager segment has been closed for business. And so if you are a fund or someone like that, it's just been really tough for you. The second group that has been really tough for is frankly like more centralized companies. Been a brutal run of it. There are a lot of companies that they were kind of the darlings of last cycle. Uh, they might have raised a whole bunch of money and their, their customer base just dried up and they're really struggling. So if you talk to anyone that's running kind of like a centralized capital markets infrastructure type play, it has been a nightmare. But then there's this other group of people that are building protocols and they, I'm not kidding. You, if you ask them, they're like, what decent, what bear market? Like, what bear market? Our tokens are going yep. up. Our teams yep. are growing. We're building all this cool stuff there. It is a completely, there's a completely bifurcated experience these last two years. And I would also, I'd also say that like, we've drawn this comparison before. If you look at the price charts of 2019, it was the exact same. I mean, it was, it felt desolate, you know, abandoned, et cetera. Speaking from my perspective, I think one of the difficult things at that time for me was like, I was still asking myself at this point, like maybe this technology doesn't end up really working out or maybe all this DeFi NFT stuff is a pipe dream and it never ends up working. I never, right. I never asked myself that even once this cycle, but not, maybe that's no, a little well, okay. I, I didn't with one caveat and I, I talked about this a year ago, one year ago, um, I had a little mini existential crisis, right? At the end of 22, when, you know, bad guy did bad things. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this enough to kind of put the genie back in the bottle? That mm-hmm. as much as I believe in the tech, as much as I, because it wasn't, you know, FTX was not a crypto problem. It was no. a bad guy problem. The crypto never failed. And DeFi never failed. I mean, Dan Moorhead was really vehement about that. Like, look, look at the data. DeFi never had a problem. And, and I did have a little mini existential crisis. And, and, and I say, you know, Dara Albright's, um, piece that she wrote on decentralization kind of snapped me back into my senses. And as, as painful as this year has been, I feel better for it. I feel stronger for it. And, and it is that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But I, I actually feel like I've been working out every day even though I don't work out every day, but, but I really feel like that struggle and 
And that's true of life. Right? Mm. If you want to grow, mm. you have to have pain and struggle. And societally, in the last maybe 20 years, we've shifted a little bit to, oh, I'm going to avoid that struggle. I'm going to avoid that pain. I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want that. I, I don't want to talk to someone who disagrees with me, so I'll just block them. I don't want to you know, look at a new idea that, that challenges my perception of, of, of status quo. I don't, I don't want to think about someone competing with me and, and trying to take my business away. So I'm just going to ignore it. And that, that process, I think, is what makes us better, right, as humans, because we, we are resilient and we are persistent and we are, and we are um, we're cognizant of, of the things around us when we're in that state. And I don't know, I'm, I was on, I was on space today with a bunch of, and I mean this in a loving way, a bunch of DJs and I mean, all young people, I'm like the old grandfather and it was a blast. And I just love what I do. I love hanging out. I did a call yesterday with these two guys who I think they're going to rebuild the lending business that never should have died in the first place. And they're awesome. They're just awesome, young, hungry, smart guys. I won't call them kids. I mean, but, but I mean, again, I mean that in an affectionate term and I'm going to work with them and I want to help them grow. And I want to be that, you know, adult in the room to say, okay, let's, let's, you know, you're enthusiastic. Let me be the, the voice of reason. And I, I think we're going to build something great. And anyway, I, it's just all this stuff that's happening. Well, and I get to talk to you every week, so that's good. Hmm. I appreciate same, same, same here. You know, I, I think it's, I had this, I'm back in Montana right now with my, with my parents and I, I talked to my dad about this, about this stuff a lot. And obviously, you know, I've been yammering about it for six years. <laughs> he's, he's very aware of Blockworks and, um, and, you know, he was just, I was, cause I was talking to him about, uh, uh, Solana and he was like, can you describe the difference between Solana and Ethereum? And I was describing how I would, uh, how I'd describe the difference be, it's like, man, this stuff is just so complicated. I was like, you know what? People are not going to ever understand this. The vast majority of people are just never going to understand. Just like, by the way, no one understands how fine the financial plumbing of the system really works. Just like no one describes, no one could even describe to you. Michael, describe the difference between CDMA works. and TDMA. Come on, right. tell me the difference between CDMA and TDMA, right? In mobile yeah. technology. Tell me, literally tell me how I'm talking into a metal and glass box in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and in real time, you are hearing me and seeing me in high definition after that signal gets parsed up into the airwaves, across fiber optic cables, out of another cell tower, into your metal and glass box. Tell me how that works. It doesn't matter. It works. I couldn't. And, yeah. And look, the you. people that, that do know how it works, the engineers, oh my God. Oh my God. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. But we don't have to be that. What we have to be is pragmatic about when, when tools come along in the history of mankind, 
the smart people picked up the tools and utilized them. And the the less smart would say, ooh, ooh, that looks like a foreign object. That that's not something I've ever seen before. I, I better not, I better not touch that. So they they fell behind. And those that were willing to embrace new ideas, new concepts, new technologies, that that's why look, <laughs> we got lots of problems. Lots of problems. But how we do life is pretty damn good. And the fact that I don't have to go hunt for my food tonight, I'm pretty happy about. The fact that, you know, I can transfer value to you without an intermediary today, I'm pretty happy about that. The fact mm-hmm. that, you know, I can communicate with anyone anywhere around the world that I actually have friends, and I call them friends, even though we've never met, from Twitter. That's unbelievable to me, that I have friends around the world that I can call on and get help just because of a relationship we created through this social network, this fabric. Anyway, so, but people resisted it. And people, I get why Ms. Warren and Jamie Dimon and you know, all the other banks don't want you and I to live in a permissionless world. They are very happy being the keeper of the keys, Right. They're very happy that it's their money, right? The money I have at Bank of America is not my money any longer. I, I and, and why do I do that? Because I don't want it in my house, because I don't want someone to come rob my house, so I keep it in the bank. But at some point, an increasing amount of it is going to end up in a peerless, permissionless world. And, and you know, a little shout out to you guys. Um, and the the other guys, um, why am I blanking on their name? Um, that you do the permissionless thing with, um, uh, bankless. Yeah, bankless. So that event, despite the fact that the numbers were way down, this, despite the fact that there wasn't the buzz that there has been in the past, that was a turning point for me. I I hashtagged it right, you know, live permissionless. I. I inculcated so much of the interactions I had there because all that was left was the builders and people were talking reality. They weren't talking pie in the sky and get rich quick. They were talking about this is the long-term vision. This is a long-term plan. And that permissionless theme is, is what this is all about, right? We want to live in a world where we, the owners of our data, of our identity, of our assets, control those things. And, and look, a centralized world was awesome for 838 years. I am happy we had a centralized world. I am. And I don't want to blow it up, right? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it has to change overnight. But permissionless is better than permissioned decentralized is more fault tolerant than centralized. And read was amazing. Web one. Awesome. Awesome. The fact that we can get information ubiquitously everywhere in real time. Amazing. Read, write better. The fact that I can contribute content. YouTube. I, I, I watched the way my, 12 about to be 13 year old learns 
he doesn't go find a textbook. He gets education from an expert. Now, maybe the things that I would rather him not be. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> but, but, but visual learning, I mean, there's just a thousand times more rich content than just words on a page. It's just better. And somebody created that for free. I love that part, right? People put in so much time and energy to make these videos and then the centralized organization benefits. Well, in the third world, in, in, the, in the Web3 world, that creator is going to benefit and that creator is going to have a fan base and that expert is going to get ranked on authority. And that capacity for you and I to engage without having ever met, without ever knowing each other, without knowing everything about you, right? I, I talk about this all the time. You know, it's a dad of a daughter. I don't want the bouncer knowing her home address. I just don't. Didn't think about it at the time. I think about it a lot now. So with my yeah. granddaughters, I don't, I don't want them to ever hand somebody a credential with their home address on it. That's not necessary. You need my age? Here it is. In fact, you don't even need to see the card, Right. Wirelessly, I can verify with a zero knowledge proof. I am who I am and I am this old. You don't even have to know how old I am. I'm just old enough for whatever you want me to be. Yeah. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code Margin10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. Mark, I, I want to. Uh, I completely agree with with all of that. Of course, I, I want to uh, start with the macro action, then maybe we can drill uh, a little deeper into some of this. This yeah, we should talk macro. But, uh, is a macro. We should talk I mean, macro. It's the, yeah. the roundup. So we should we should probably talk about that rather than just riff on on the future. All right, let me let me let me uh, let me show you a chart here because you know we're we're ending this year, so we're recording this on December twenty first, and stock uh, the stock market is basically back at all time highs. So we have. The Nasdaq, the Dow Jones, the S&P, all basically trading right about at their all-time high. They just broke out. Now, the entire market over the course of the last probably month or two has shifted very bullish. The Fed has said they're cutting rates. Okay, et cetera, et cetera. Now we all think it's going to be a very good next year. You know, the, uh, what, what this really reminds me of is if you look at this pattern, this let me show you what Bitcoin looked like um, uh, back in 2021. I mean, it's the same thing. Yep. It's a crazy run up, a little dip, yep. double top, and then boom. And I don't know. I, I've My framework for a little, a little while has been that Bitcoin and crypto tends to front run liquidity expectations of traditional markets. And... I don't know. Um, I like. I'm seeing a pattern that maybe just to play devil's advocate to what I feel like has become a pretty consensus view. There could be a similar type situation. So, how are you feeling ending the year, going going into with all time highs? Uh, you know, in the stock market, does that feel sustainable, or are we in for a little bit of a surprise? No, 
no, it's, it's, well, it's, it's not, it, it's not sustainable, but I can't tell you when, you know, the kid's going to come along and say, that guy's naked. I mean, ugh. you know, I, I can't predict when that's going to happen, but, but look, this year has been massive multiple expansion. There, there's been a little bit of earnings recovery, but, but not much. Most of it's multiple expansion and, and liquidity. I mean, the, the financial conditions uh, since October got, got better and interest rates fell 20%. I mean, a massive move over the last 10 weeks in interest rates. And animal spirits came back. And it is, I, I, I like the analogy to that, that uh, period in, in digital. Because remember, that first move, that first leg up, was the $10 billion flowing into GBTC and Michael uh, Saylor talking about how bullish he was. And, you know, supply-demand imbalance, not enough sellers, lots of buyers, and boom, 10 to 60. And then Elon famously does the, I don't know about this. I, I don't think it's very good. I'm selling mine. And boom. And too much leverage. And unwinding, and you had a spiral down fifty percent. I mean, that, that was a that was a, that was a quick move, fifty percent. And then people were like, well, "Well, nothing's changed." I mean, other than Elon, uh, nothing's changed. And so you had the rest of the FOMO trade, and you know, exacerbated by the the you know Thanksgiving where everybody's back and things are going up, and they're like, "Oh, pump, pump, pump." And, and then, you know, November 21st, or I, no, I'm sorry, November 6th, they, so I guess it wasn't Thanksgiving. It was, I guess it was just the summertime FOMO, but in November 6th, they, they passed the futures ETF and it's been straight down, you know, after that. And so I don't think there's that type of catalyst for equities, but, you know, if I look at the, the, the multiple on NASDAQ and the multiple on the S&P, they're not sustainable. If I look at the fact that all the macroeconomic indicators are, are heading for the hard deck, I mean, I watched Maverick again twice last weekend. I love that movie. And um, whenever my wife's gone, I just watch the movie. And because uh, she, she didn't want to watch it again. But, um, and I watched it for the fight scenes, but it's, I mean, flight scenes. But it, um, you know, when they're doing that Cobra move, going for the hard deck, it's it's just crazy. And you look at PMIs, you look at uh, the jolts, I mean, the job openings. Holy moly! I mean, it's 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 straight down. And so, again, not predicting recession, not saying we're going to fall off a cliff, but those are not expansionary type numbers. And I do think there's there's a little bit of reckoning. Throw on top of that the uh, normal kind of uh, the third year of the presidential cycle is always the best year, right? There's a four-year cycle, follows presidential elections. The third year is when the incumbents are trying to stay in power. So they pass a bunch of stuff and do a bunch of stuff and bang on the central bank and it is not a coincidence 
that Jerome Powell two weeks ago came out and said, yeah, I'm probably cutting next year. That is not a coincidence. That You go back in, in history, every third year that happens because they say we're going we're gonna to be accommodative because we like to get reappointed. And so I, I, I look at a couple things. One, the weighting of technology as a percentage of the overall market we just surpassed the all-time high in 2000. That was unsustainable. This one is too. And big tech, you know, the Magnificent Seven, are at, at valuation levels that, that just don't make any sense. And it doesn't, mean, so it doesn't mean they can't go higher, but I don't think they will. I mean, personally. I, I think year four uh, presidential cycle is pretty muted year you know, three, four percent. So, you know, I think that's probably a, a, a good estimate for next year. Um, most people think it's going to be business usual. I, I always love the, the estimates are always, it's going to be up eight to 12%. Like always, that's what they always say. And then, you know, sometimes they're too bullish, sometimes they're too bearish, but they're always saying eight to 12. Uh, the fact that we're up 20 in the third year, that's actually about average for a third year, 16 to 20. So maybe even a little above average. So maybe next year has to be a little below average. So maybe it's closer to flat. Um, that'd be my estimate. Yeah, it's it's always it's always very tough to predict. I do think the the election year definitely has something to do with it as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just you you could really kind of see it going going either way um, in terms of. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, the the rate cuts, I feel like is the thing that we've all been been waiting for. I look, I'm not a market reader. I was a little bit surprised. I feel like Jerome basically raised <laughs> waved the uh, the white flag or the red flag or whatever the matador sort of raised for the bull. Um, but it's been pretty muted, honestly, since that FOMC, which is a little bit surprising to me in terms of terms of reaction. We had a pretty sharp sell off earlier this week. Um, yeah, I could really just see it going either way going into the new year. It's very tough. Yeah, I mean. So here's the thing, the uh, average, right? The median PE for the S&P, okay? Actual PE, not PE on forecasted nonsense, but the actual PE on actual earnings is 14.96. So it's called 15. And I'm sorry, that's the median. The mean is 16. So the mean is 16. The median is, is 15. The latest reading is 26. Mm. Okay, 26. And if you yeah. go back to January, it was 22.8. So, you know, we've increased three multiple points in a year where arguably it wasn't wasn't that great from a macro perspective to, to warrant that. And the problem as I see it is, is we've been above average since 2000. You know, we got to... I think that the peak in 2000. Uh, so I, crazy. I guess 20. Oh, no, no, no. The peak in 1999 was 33. So again, mm-hmm. it can go crazier. So it was 33. Um, well, actually on, on, uh, cause earnings were so sucky in 2002, it actually hit 46, but uh, then we troughed, but our trough was only, 
14.87 in 2012. That's still barely back to average. Now, if you think about, think about a line, right? If you've been above the line, so if the average is 10 and you've been at 15, 20, 25, 30 for 23 years, at some point you have to go below the line, right? That's just math. Now, people say, oh, no, no, the line is tilted. It's no longer going to be 10 all the time. It's now tilted. Okay, fine. What's it tilted to? 11? 12? It ain't tilted to 24. So the, the idea that somehow we're magically going to stay super elevated forever is insane. And, and the, the part that, that drives me the craziest is when interest rates were close to zero, you want to give it a 30 PE? Fine. Illogical, but fine. I mean, when I say illogical, meaning zero interest rates tell us that the future is less good than the current, That's or else the rates would be higher. And so growth probably would be disappointing. So you should probably have a lower multiple, but fine. If you divide by zero, you get a big number. But when rates went to five, you can't have a multiple expansion. Now that rates went from five to four, oh, now we can expand them all. Oh, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. Four, five, five wasn't even in the range of the average for the 10 year. It was five to seven for the last, you know, 100 years. So we're just at the bottom of the range. We weren't even in the range. And you had plenty of time where it was above that. So now everyone's like, well, we're going back to zero. Why? Why would we go down? in a world that was so great. So I don't know, but, but I digress. I, I think people will be disappointed buying equities at these prices over a meaningful period of time, you know, three, five, eight, ten 10 years. Yeah. What do you think though? Because the, I mean, the, the underlying dynamic there amongst other things, yeah, strengthen the economy, whatever, is the budget deficits we're running, the fiscal spend. And that, <laughs> that to me feels unlikely to change anytime soon, right? Oh, no, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, right? Because the, the people in power want to stay in power, whichever side of the aisle they're on. They want to stay in. And so they're going to pass crazy amounts of stuff. And, and look, I don't know if it'll get this bad because, you know, it's funny. When was the last time you heard someone talking about UBI? I haven't heard it in months, maybe even all year. I haven't heard anybody talk yeah. about UBI. But right before the election, you'll hear all that stuff come back. UBI, loan forgiveness. I did see, I did see there was a proposal from the White House to give grants to 500,000 people to buy homes. I, I, I tweeted that. I oh, it's you. Oh, it's like, you. Yeah, I think it might have been me. I was like, this is. Yeah, well, I follow you so closely. I, I can't, I, it all runs together. I apologize for not giving you credit. I, no, it, uh, that to me, though, is just absolutely. I mean, that, I think that's the worry. Michael, that's thing. corruption. That's corruption. That's buying votes. That is buying votes. And, and it's interesting. I, I saw this, this, this line about corruption. Um, states get cash, rich people get bailouts, the middle class gets tax cuts, and the poor get 
uh, handouts, mm. like transfer payments. Yeah, all of it's corruption, right? Whether it's the money to the states, right, for you know highways or whatever, you know, to to curry favor with the right governor or whatever, that's corruption. Bailouts, right? Bailing out one bank and not another bank—that's clearly corruption. Tax cuts. You're just buying votes. And if you're going to give somebody free money or tax rebate or, you know, uh, UBI or, or free electricity, right? What they do in, in Argentina, they give you free electricity and expect you to, you know, vote for the Peronists. So that's an interesting exper- experiment that's going on down there with uh, Mile and the libertarian guy. Um, Although I'm nervous that he's a a statist in libertarian clothing. I'm, yeah, I I don't really love the. Uh, I don't know anything. I don't I don't follow this closely, but uh, I I don't love the politicians that get out there and just say crazy stuff. I don't want to hear crazy right. stuff. I want to hear stuff that right. I feel like makes sense. Here's but here, you know what I think this is. I would use a different word from corruption. I would call it populism. And I as I was listening to this okay, podcast, I build you. I've showed this to you a million times. It's uh, the rest is history. There was a really great moment in time back in Victorian England. There was a guy named Roger Tichborne. I don't know if that name means anything yes. to you. Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. So he, son of this aristocratic family, ends up going like many did to go seek their fortune elsewhere, dies in a potentially a shipping accident or a ship accident, something like that. Some 20 years later, some guy comes back and claims to be Roger Tichborne. Now, this guy didn't speak the same language. He's 300 pounds. He was obviously not Roger Tichborne. But, right. uh, the, but the family, and there actually is a, there's a documentary recently about something. I think the name of it is Imposter. Um, it's someone who accepted a lost child years later, someone who's clearly not them. Anyway, the family accepts this guy. This ends up going to court. It becomes, you know, the most watched, uh, the most watched and sort of, it's like a zeitgeist moment in the, in the pop culture. And ultimately, uh, he ends up, I think there's like, he's proven, he, he ends up getting proven after like two years that it's not him because of a tattoo. They had one of his uh, schoolmates come and he didn't have a tattoo that he supposedly had. But it became this populist issue where everyone understood that this guy was not actually Robert Tishborn, but the, the working class people supported this guy because they felt like they were getting screwed over in the courts. Actually, the the person on this podcast compared it to the OJ trial where look, this is my opinion or whatever, but many people think that he was guilty, but ultimately the, you know, the African-American community supported him because it revealed this entrenched racism within the LAPD. And so they were really protesting against the LAPD less about OJ specifically. The common people sort of rallied to the cause of this guy. And, and there ended up being a lot of reforms in the, uh, it's kind of a weird populist moment because the middle class people were, were used to getting screwed over in the courts. And this is what populism is. I, you know, it comes up in political discourse all the time, you know, for me within family and friends. And, you know, it's usually people that bemoan Trump and it's like, oh, this and that. It's like he is the symptom of a there is an enormous part of this country that is not being spoken to. And if you just ignore it and pretend that it's a scam or fat or whatever, you're, you're just missing something. And Populism ends up being, unfortunately, the answer to ruling class elites, the government that isn't serving the massive interests of the people. And it kind of, and it usually ends up in a sort of a sad situation. Usually it's not 
usually it's not great what ultimately ends up happening. Yep. But you're seeing it on both sides of the aisle, and I feel like that's the regime that we're in. We're in a populist yep. regime. I just realized that we didn't do our, our London fact to, to shill mm. DAS London in March. Ah, that's true. And one this could be kind of like that. that. Oh, yeah, uh, give us one. One. one that I have for you is uh, – London, and we're going in March, so it was like, oh, I don't want to come. It's rain every day. London is actually less rainy than Paris, Rome, Barcelona, and Miami. So all you no people way. in Miami come to London, and uh, you know, it's it's like Seattle. You know, people say Seattle's so rainy. It actually, has less rain than Chicago. But now there are a lot of gray days where it rains for you know ten minutes, and then it's just lousy all day. But it doesn't actually rain a lot. Uh, the other one I love is that there is a London stone, which, if if uh, theoretically were to be moved, the city, the bedrock of the city, would would uh, dissolve. So imagine the whole city based on one stone, and uh, we'll have to go see the London stone when we're there. You know what? That's kind of like the uh, the thing in the Death Star. It's like the one exactly. uh, airway yeah, event. It's one like little, that. one little air, you know, vent, and uh, oh, yeah, we blew it. Mm. So, well, I appreciate. Yeah, actually, I forgot to mention prices are going up. They're going up two hundred pounds in January. So, if you've been sitting and waiting to buy your ticket, do it now because you're going to end up paying more if you buy your ticket in two weeks. So, go use the code margin twenty. Mark and I hooked you up with a discount. We really should do like a get there maybe like a day early, do a little hang with some of the folks that listen to the show, bus tour, pub, something like that. That would be Shakespeare's head, baby. Let's, let's do an event at Shakespeare's head. It's an amazing pub. Um, And we should definitely do that. I mean, without question, we should do that because again, part of back to, you know, Mr. Ebullient here, part of my reason for ebullience other than, you know, hanging out with you and, and, and talking about stuff that I, I, I care about is the community, right? The community yeah. of people in this space is like none I've ever seen. It doesn't mean everybody's perfect. And that's not my point, but the quality of the people that have migrated to this space, the intellectual capital, the intellectual vigor, in terms of of not intellect for intellect's sake, but, but intellectual curiosity and and the the willingness to pursue new ideas and and to build things and you know to to move fast and break things and all, all those things is is awesome and it's part of what you know it's keeping me young so to speak even though I don't, I don't look young but but I, I feel young I said the only time I feel old is when I look at myself if I don't look at myself I'm like you know in my thirties. And because I, I hang out, I know I appreciate that, but but I, I I really do feel like the people that I'm hanging out with, and it's because that enthusiasm is infectious. And you know, it, it's it's funny given that I'm I'm just getting over a cold. Uh, you know, daycare crud. Having having grandbabies is great, except eventually you're going to get a cold. But. Uh, the virus is spreading again. And, you know, we wrote this piece back in, in 18, the virus is spreading. I was like, Oh, what are you talking about? The virus, you know, that's, that's a negative. So, well, two things, one, all viruses are not negative. There actually are some positive viruses. Um, 
but what I don't mean the virus, and this is you know long before COVID and all that stuff. What we're talking about is viral, virality. And virality is a good thing. And it, again, has to do with, I'm a biology guy. And biological systems grow virally. And that means they grow not linearly, but exponentially. And that exponential growth is why the opportunity set is so vast, but also why it, it tends to find, it's like water. Water finds its own level, right? It's like if you are excited about something, you tell somebody, it either bounces off them and it's Ms. Warren and you just leave them, or they pick up on your energy and, and they become part of the, the network or the, you know, the, the, the community and it starts to grow. And, and that's what these events do. These events bring together and people, oh, it's just a bunch of people who already believe it talking to each other. Yeah, but it's talking about new ideas, big ideas. And, and, and the thing about this event that's so cool, it ain't just the people that have been getting together every year. There's a whole bunch of new people, a whole bunch of big name institutions, people who you wouldn't expect to see. And that's what's really cool. So despite all the rhetoric coming down that, you know, governments hate this and corporations hate it and institutions hate it, the reality is they're all studying it. They're all dipping a toe in it. The smart ones are already way out ahead of it um, and embracing it. And that virality and, and the community building is I think what what makes change possible, right? Because it, yeah. it feeds on the energy that's created by the participants in the community. I completely agree. And I, I agree with you as well. I, I think, you know, just like anything, I used to think, I think maybe a little simplistically, like this was all going to become one community. And I don't think that anymore, but I think it's like more of a series of interconnected communities where yeah. whenever you're trying to organize really big groups of people, you know, they have their kind of friends and the people that they identify that have a similar worldview as them or are working on similar problems as them. And yeah, I just, I think it was sort of simplistic for me to assume years ago that this was all just going to become one homogenous thing. It's well, but this is Reed's law, right? This is, you know, so Sarnoff said anyone that can hear a signal as part is a node and therefore a network increases in value by the number of people. So the number of listeners we have is the value of the network. But then Metcalf came along and said, well, no, because those people are going to talk to each other. So there's more connections. So it's not linear, it's exponential. But then Reed came along to your point and said, well, no, in the big network, there are sub-networks. Some of them overlap a little bit. Some of them never overlap. And I always use a simple example of in a group at a reunion, there are tennis players and there are golfers and there are rodeo fans and there are soap opera fans and, and they tend to form. They're all connected to the same institution and, and maybe they interact, but, but there are these subgroups. And then I said, I've, I've come up with this fourth idea that uh, I named after this, this friend of mine, Sophia Vachetto, called Vachetto's Law, which says that the pipes are not the same. Right, you and I have a great pipe. We know how to communicate to each other. We do it frequently, 
other people don't communicate as much. So there are some skinny pipes, there's some fat pipes, there's some active pipes, there's some less active pipes. So that's a fourth dimension of this. And, and when you get a community that starts over here and one that starts over here and they're, they're mortal enemies, you know, Ethan Solana, whatever. And, but then a couple people interconnect because they both like, you know, coming to London and going to Shakespeare's head and drinking pints. <laughs> and then they're like, whoa, 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 what, what do you mean? This is the same. I, <clears throat> and maybe, and again, maybe they don't come together, but, but there's, there's a real, you know, real a realization that you're not mortal enemies that you can, you know, be friends and collaborators and, and, and you can stay different, right? You may say, you know what, this ecosystem is different. It's like when I watched the, the debate between the Cosmos guy and the Solana guy. And, you know, if I were judging, I would have judged the Cosmos guy as the winner. He, he was great. He was a debater, obviously in high school or something, but he, he was amazing. And the Solana guy was very emotional and, but the, the great line, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the great line was, hey, you go ahead and build the best mainframe in the world. Knock yourself out. I'm going to go build the personal computer. And I was like, whoa, 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 okay. That, and maybe that's not exactly how it's playing out, but the, the sub chains, right? Um, anyway, so I, I do think there's this Reed's Law element of groups within the group. But then there's the the communication element that if we have more dialogue and debate in search of truth, instead of you're wrong, I'm right, no, you're wrong, I'm right, you know, we're all better off. Completely agree with you. I do think actually the the way that it's sort of naturally gravitated, at least in crypto, is, you know, it's a really big problem to solve, actually. There are lots of there are lots of different uh like things that you have to to do to make a blockchain work and each ecosystem is has focused on solving one particular thing and actually it might yeah. act, it might be better to solve a big problem to break it up into little chunks and have groups hyper focus on solving this one problem as opposed to one bigger group trying to solve all the different problems at the same time i don't know but it feels like that's actually naturally kind of happened and steel sharpens steel and they're all i i mean even though they're they feel very competitive with one another i think they're all Steel Very definitely sharp, sharpens steel. And, and right, we can all learn from one another, you know, what works, what doesn't work, where the, where the vulnerabilities are. And, and, and at the end of the day, we do have a common enemy, right, mm -hmm. which is inertia and the status quo. And so yeah. That's a good the less we fight amongst ourselves and the more we – fight against and and I don't I shouldn't call them the enemy but they kind of are um and I and I understand why they're fighting I would fight too if my livelihood depended on it I would fight and and we are collectively a threat to many people's livelihood because the the money that that we collectively want to liberate that 7 trillion dollars spent on trust is someone else's revenue. I, I get that. But it's no different than any other liberation of wasted effort, time, money, you know, human resources in, in the past, right? There was a time when we used lots of human 
indentured servitude to build stuff that 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 now is a bad plan it's frowned upon and you know we used to use steam engines to you know uh, bore tunnels and now that's frowned upon and so technology evolves and people evolve and and innovation evolves but to to not well to to think that we're that we were going to be in a fight that was a little naive and I don't know that anyone really thought that, but for a while they didn't fight us because they were ignoring us. They're like, hey, you guys with your magic internet money, whatever, knock yourself out. Do you think now? Do you think that the ETF changes that at all? That dynamic? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think it changes it in a lot of ways. One that I'm a little nervous about is: is it a Trojan horse? Um, meaning. Do those incumbents believe that by approving the boomer wrapper, right, the old school financial services wrapper for this new tech thing, you know, newfangled technology, that they, they can somehow control it and, and, and make it permissioned? It doesn't work that way. And you and I know it doesn't work that way, but I, 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 as smart as I think some of those people are, I think some of them think, no, no, it can work that way. We, we, can, we can get control of this and we, we can make it permission. So I think that's part of it. And, and so I, I do think, but even if they're malintented in the approval, meaning if, if, if that's the plan, I'm not saying it is the plan, but if that were the plan, right? To say, oh, we're going to do this to gain control and, and then we're going to pass a law to make the rest of what you do illegal. And you're going to have to come through us and, you know, you're going to have to buy JP Morgan coin. Okay, fine. But we in the tech now know that doesn't have to work like that. And, and yet, once you make that approval, to your earlier point, the very first question, will the other owners of assets say, oh, my God, BlackRock's here? Okay, I, I can stop fighting it, and now I can embrace it. And, the, and BlackRock's going to be like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 we didn't tell you to embrace it. You know, we, we told you just to, you know, let us control it. And they're going to say, hmm, I can, just, I can just go buy Bitcoin myself. Or yeah. I could go invest in companies that, you know, are, are doing – you know, payments a better way. And I, I do think it could, it could be that legitimization, if that's the right word, that people say, okay, let's go find the best idea. And maybe that best idea isn't the old incumbent trying to, you know, put the wolf in sheep's clothing, so to speak. You know, there was, I remember debates around what's the point of a Bitcoin ETF? The whole point of Bitcoin is that you can send it. It's super, it's liquid. It's easy to send. That an ETF is, is a wrapper to make it much easier to trade a commodity or stocks or something like that. It's supposed to be yep. an improvement. ETF, like, there's no, the only improvement of an ETF is that it slots into brokerages and is a seal of approval, et cetera. But it's all it, it is. And, and it's, and, and, and I, 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 I actually will, will agree with those that rail against it saying we don't need it that's the whole point is that we don't want you 
to put it in the wrapper. We want you to put it on your ledger. But here's the thing. It's not going to happen all at once. There has to, I believe, there has to be the CFI step. We're not going directly from all centralized to all decentralized without this, you know, or all TradFi to all DeFi without, without CFI. And we're just, it's just not going to happen because there are, especially, you know, with what just happened where Ledger had some, some losses and we're investors in Ledger. And I, I didn't like that that happened. And that wasn't like, you know, their, their, their PR faux pas on the, you know, restoration with the seed phrase. That really wasn't bad. But the fact that someone got exploited because they were using a, a DAP or something. Okay. That's a problem. I mean, that's a, that's a vulnerability. And is it possible that people could make a mistake and forget where they put their seed phrase or forget where they put their password or forget where they put their ledger? Oh, you betcha. So bearer assets are fraught with peril. Yeah. Right? We all don't have our bearer assets in our homes anymore. In the earliest days of time, you had Saxo money in your house and in the earliest days, they had little chickens on them or little pigs and, and you had traded them with the other guy at the market. And, but then like, no, no, someone's going to come to my house and steal them. So I'm going to put them in this institution and I'm going to get a little piece of paper. Originally they called it flying money because it would fly away if you put it down. And, and that was a better system. And then we made electronic systems. And that was a better system. And so we, we've, we've made improvements and the digital system will be better. But, to think that everyone is going to go directly from A to Z, right? Just no. And no, so it's never good. It should be there as an option. Uh, but it, it, I, I, I don't even know. I think there's a debate to be had about whether or not it should be the default. It should not be the default in the current state. I will say that it is you have a much higher likelihood of losing your seed phrase than you do by the government stealing it or getting caught. Like we need to, if we, if we want to make self-custody the default, my, my current standing is this. It should absolutely always exist as an option, as a check and a balance. If we want to make it the default, we have to figure things out like social recovery or whatever, because people will just lose it. That is just, that's- You have to, you know, look, you, you, and, and look, I, I get it, right? Satoshi said in in his early emails, yes, things will get lost or stolen, but consider that, a uh, donation to the community because by shrinking the number, the rest become more valuable. Okay. That, that sounds yeah. very noble and good. And, yeah. and I get it. And I will say, I wish I could give him credit, but I, I, I really, I do love dialogue and debate in search truth. And so you know, I was, I was vociferous for a, for a while that I didn't love the original distribution of Bitcoin. I thought it was unfair that only a certain number of people knew about it and that it, it, it just wasn't really available. And they're like, no, that's, that, that's not true. Anyone could have. I'm like, no, that, that's not true. It's just not true. And so I kind of leaned more toward this, shouldn't you just do an airdrop to everybody? And then if somebody wants to keep it, great. If they want to get rid of it, they get rid of it. But everyone ha would then have an equal chance. And people are like, no, that's stupid. That's socialism. I'm like, no, but but okay. But I did come around after debating with these guys that 
the value of converting your time and effort to understand it, to engage in it, and to convert fiat into it is what creates the value. I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes sense to me. And so, but if it's so hard that the average person is forfeiting their fiat to you because you're so sophisticated and you were early, uh, it's not a really good like pitch. Yeah. Hey, join my club and give me your money. That's that's a bad pitch, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's really probably no good way to do it, and it's been done. And I, I feel like we, no, we, we, there's no good way right now because we believe we collectively, the developers believe, and I'm not a developer, I'm not a coder, so I don't know how to solve this. Um, but someone is, I believe, and I hope to back them. So if you're thinking about this, call me. Uh, I hope to back them. That someone is going to figure out, like you say, this this way to have social recovery. And maybe it's tranching. Maybe that's, our, that's the wrong word, caching, where not everything has to settle immediately to the ultimate chain. And that there's a chance for... Um, I don't know what you call it, like a clearinghouse or a verification step or something that would just allow us to have confidence that, you know, we were doing it right um, and that we weren't being exploited. Um, Cause that's the other thing. People have gotten fished. People have gotten, you know, people took screenshots of their QR code. And, and yes, most of that's in the ETH world as opposed to the Bitcoin world, but there's plenty of Bitcoin that's been, exploited too so uh, agreed it'll get fixed agreed it'll get fixed i'm with you all right mark we got to wind down here but as always best hour of my week um awesome i uh, right, got one more predictions. predictions i know i know next week should yeah. be fun so uh enjoy uh your holiday with the family uh merry christmas and and happy holidays to everyone else who celebrates a different way uh i'm gonna have a, a wonderful christmas with with my grandkids and my mom and dad and my brother and his girlfriend and a bunch of other people. And, and then I get to make the trek out to San Fran to see my son and his daughter. So uh, excited about that. I wish you all the best up in, in the great state of Montana. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. You as well, my friend. You as well. Happy holidays to the East Coast and to everyone listening. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>